good, good, good. Good. Because what we have here are some, um, some people that come up to Jesus who are Pharisees, but they're siding with another group of people who are Jews, and they call themselves Herodians. They follow Herod. They are, they are more politically sided than they are spiritually sided. So they're the kind of believers, if you can put it in you know, bunny rabbits, ears, whatever you call that, inverted commas, believers, but politics has more power than, than you know, spiritual, you know, than God does. And actually, Pharisees and Herodians weren't friends. They weren't friends. But they both had a, an enemy, so to speak, an adversary that was bad-mouthing them and their own things. So the Herodians were the political side of things, and the Pharisees were the religious side of things. And Jesus just loves to tear down any structures that man puts up. And so politics and religion are two very prominent structures that are still existent today. And um, I want to clarify, uh, politics is, is, is a good thing that we, we love politics in this, in this world. We love politicians. We love our politicians. We pray for them regularly. We do. We might not agree with them, all right, but we pray for them regularly. Uh, and uh, religion, religious, the religious spirit, I guess, is in the world, and that basically is just a, a mentality that says, I can work my way to salvation. And so Pharisees believed that. And if you didn't measure up to a certain standard that they had, then you probably weren't going to be in God's kingdom. And, uh, and they used to put heavy weights on people's shoulders, and Jesus called them hypocrites, and that apparently wasn't a very nice thing to call them. And so these two parties, the Herodians and the Pharisees, they got together, and they thought, well, you know, let's, let's pull this guy down together. Let's be unified together. Let's have politics and religion together to pull down this Jesus, because he's just going to rise, he might rise up and, you know, he's going to ruin politics, ruin the government. He's saying that he's... They're saying that he might be a king, and he's going to ruin religion because he's saying that you know it's it's faith and it's following him, and and so let's get together and pull him down. And so they come up with this plan to catch Jesus in his own words. In fact, that's what the that's what the scripture says. They try to catch Jesus in his words, which is kind of amazing and punitive, punile, juvenile. Because Jesus is the word and everything that comes from his lips is life and peace and wisdom. He is the very wisdom of God. And so here they are trying their best to come against Jesus, to catch him in his words. And so they come to him and they say, teacher, well, you're the best. You just, you, we, you're just so good. The way that you teach, you're just so wise. You know, you don't take anyone else's opinion. You're not swayed by men. Uh, you don't pay any attention to who they are. You, you know, you know, you know. Uh, you don't like anyone more than anyone else. You, you, you're not swayed by popular opinion. You're not, you know, you, you have your own ideas about everything, uh, and the way you teach is the way of God in accordance with the truth. And and so they sort of, they're kind of, they're they're padding Jesus. They're they're. They're trying to sway Jesus. And uh, they come up with this question, which is a trap. 
They try and trap Jesus. You see, Jesus has been going around and alluding to the fact that he is the Messiah. We had the triumphal procession into Jerusalem a few weeks ago, and he's the Messiah. Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah, right? It's obvious to everyone that he is setting himself up as a figure of a Messiah. And, uh, and they think to themselves, well, let's catch him because the Messiah would say no to this question. And an imposter would say yes. And so they ask him, Jesus, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Not so much is it right to pay. In other words, all they're really saying is, should, should we pay taxes or not? Is it wrong to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, a lot of people, they think, like preaching, preaching this passage, they think that this is Jesus saying it's okay to pay taxes. And kind of is, but it's more than that. You see, for Jesus to be asked this question, they, they're trying to trap him in his own words by, by the fact that if he was going to say, yes, it's right to pay taxes to Caesar, then he is alluding to something about Caesar that any Jew would find offensive. You see, Caesar thought he was God. He set himself up as a God. Okay? And for Jesus to say, yes, it's right to pay taxes to Caesar, he would be siding with Caesar's self-divine view. And that would be wrong. But if Jesus was to say, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, which a lot of Jewish people would want him to say, because what happened was in AD 6, Caesar made an edict that you had to pay this poll tax, and this poll tax was a day's wage, and it went straight into the treasury of the Roman Empire, straight into Caesar's treasury. It was his money. You had to pay this poll tax, a day's wages, to this guy so that you could live in the land that God promised you to live in. That's not fair to any Jew. That's like paying to stay in your own house, paying someone else to stay in your own house that you own. And so if Jesus was to say, no, uh, no, don't pay the tax, uh, Jesus will be judged as an, an insurrectionist by the Herodians. In other words, this guy is going to get caught by Herod and he's going to get imprisoned or he's going to get nailed to a cross. Or he's going to get crucified. And Jesus saw the trap. Jesus knew that the Pharisees were going to trap him and the Herodians were going to trap him either way he went. So true to Jesus, he doesn't answer their question. He actually asks them one. <laughs> and so Jesus knew their hypocrisy, verse uh, 15. And he said, why are you trying to trap me? Why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So, anyone got a coin on them? I might have one. I do. I've got a coin. It's not a denarius. It happens to be a dollar coin. And I have another dollar coin, actually. Both dollar coins have a head on one side and something else on the other. So, this one's got uh, a mob of ruse with the word one dollar. And on the other side is someone's head. 
And this one has a 100 years of Anzac, the spirit. It's too small for me to read. And then on the other side, it's got someone's head. In fact, <coughs> it's the same head of the same someone on both coins. In fact, you can find any coin in Australia and you'll find this person's head. Who is it? Anyone know? Queen. What queen? Elizabeth II. Yes, Queen Elizabeth II. Queen Elizabeth II, that's her head. That's her image. And around the side, you'll see the engraving there. It says, <coughs> Australia, 2013 on this one, Elizabeth II. That's her image. That's her inscription. Jesus asked the Pharisees for a coin. In fact, the, the coin, the, the denarius, which would, would be a day's wage, was the, was the poll tax. And so he asked them for a coin, and they, they found a coin, and they gave him the coin. And Jesus said, whose? Well, you can have a look for yourself. In verse 16, they brought the coin, and he asked them, whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Whose image is this? Whose image is on the coin? Whose image was it? Anyone know? Caesar. Caesar. Yeah, it's there. Caesar. In fact, this is what it would have said on one side of this denarii. It would say, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. And then on the flip side of that coin, it would have a picture of Caesar's mother and the claim that Caesar was high priest. So, so there, there you get. If you're a Jew and you saw that coin, how would that make you feel? The Caesar was setting himself up as God and as a high priest. That's that's blasphemy. Caesar deserves to be punished by God, but that was not going to happen. So Jesus said, "Bring me, bring me the, bring me the coin," and so they brought it to him. And he says, show me, uh, sorry, whose image is this or whose portrait is this? In fact, the Greek word for the image or portrait is icon. Icon. Whose icon is this? Now, boys, you play computer games. What's an icon? An old person that's like grounded. Yeah. So in your soccer game, you have icon players who are old players from my day or my dad's day who were really good back then, but right now they're in nursing home somewhere. But on a computer game, they're just as good as all the other players that are playing now, right? But they're icons. They're, it's an image of what they used to be like. Okay? Anyone grow up in a Catholic church? What's an icon? Um, the statue of Mary. A statue, right? So, of Mary. There you go. So an icon is an image of something that is real or was real, and it's an image, okay? It's an image, icon. And it's really interesting because Jesus says, bring me a coin whose image is on it, yeah? Whose inscription is on it? Caesar's. And then he says these words. Verse 17, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. It's interesting, isn't it? Whose image is on it? Caesar's. If it bears his image, it belongs to him. <laughs> I got two dollar, two one dollar coins, right? They belong to me. They belong to me. 
But they belong to me because this person's image, this person has made it possible for me to earn these two things. Ultimately, it belongs to the to the Commonwealth, but I earned it, so it's mine now. When I die, I don't use them anymore, and it goes to someone else. And if it doesn't go to someone else, it probably goes to the Commonwealth. I have no idea. But Jesus says, if, if it's got his image on it, it belongs to him. So give it to him. And he uses this word, icon. It's really interesting because... Um, oh, I wish I had some pictures of people. Hmm? Yeah. I wish I had some pictures of people to show you, but that's okay. I want to show you, um, if you turn with me to, to Genesis, if you've got your Bible. You should have Genesis in the front of your Bible. And in chapter 1, God creates everything. Okay? Everything. Just speaks it into being. He creates it. Just doesn't matter. Any random people, if you like. All right, so, so at the end of everything. Okay, no, just put that away, Josh. Thank you. So um, God creates the heavens and the earth and the stars and the trees and the animals. And, um, and then in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created, verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Look around this week, and as you look at every single human being, doesn't matter what race, doesn't matter what gender, doesn't matter what ability or disability they might have, how old they are or how young that doesn't matter. Every single person has been created in the image of God and the icon of God. We all bear his image and we all belong to him. All of us, not just the ones that worship on Sundays. We all belong to God. We're all created in his image, right? If it bears his image, it belongs to him. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. What's Jesus saying? Well, he's talking to, who's Jesus talking to? Pharisees and Herodians. But he's really talking to everyone else who's listening. You see, what bears God's image? We do. We do. We bear God's image. Everything bears God's fingerprints, right? Because he made everything, right? But specific image is only given toward human beings. James 3 talks about the tongue and it says, um, you know, you can use the tongue to bless people or to curse people. You know, to bless them or to curse them, and they've all been created in God's image. If it bears his image, it belongs to him. Every single person on this planet is created in the image of God. And Adam and Eve bore the image of God 
in its completeness, right? Incompleteness. How do they reflect God? I want to ask you the question. How how do how how do Adam and Eve bear the image of God? Or let's go. Before or after the fall? No, no. When when God created Adam and Eve in his image, how do they bear his image? They are perfect and blameless. Yep, perfect and blameless. Yep. What about, I love this one. You know, God, he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hang on. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three distinct persons. He's relational. All right? When when God said, let us make man in our image, he wasn't talking about just Adam in our image. He was talking about the relational aspect where, you know, when Jesus says the two will become one, it's not like God created men in his image and women are like a tainted image. They're both together, the image of God, a relational thing. Um, what about creativity? I got lost last night um, trying to find a soccer field um, that we, we all went to and I ended up walking past the arts centre in the city. We're creative. We are a creative bunch, non-Christians, Christians. We're creative. How else do we like God? Anything else? We have, <coughs> we have authority. We have yeah, yeah. There is a, there is authority. There still is authority. Yeah. What about? Uh, emotions, reason, intellect. Max, our poor puppy dog, Max. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of intellect or reason. He doesn't. He doesn't really have emotions. Not like you, Anna. Not like you. He hasn't been created in the image of God. Every single human being is created in the image of God. Animals, we can train them, all right? So they kind of carry some of our own image. So creative, relational, emotions, will, blameless, spotless, authority, all right? Um, God speaks. He can actually speak and communicate. So can we. How else? No other? No? All right. Fair enough. Okay. So the image to start with was a reflective image. The image of God was reflected in Adam and Eve, in their sinlessness, in their perfection, in their relationship toward each other, toward God, toward creation. They had authority. They had authority. It was given to them by God. It was reflective of a holy God, of a perfect God. And then, as you know, Adam and Eve decided to sin. And that image still remains after the fall, but it's lost some of its points of uh, focus.
the image became defective because of sin. Yes, we still have reason. Yes, we still have intellect. Yes, we're relational beings. Yes, every single person has eternity in their hearts. Every single, we've got this inbred desire to find out if there's a God or not. Just look at all the religions of the world. But one thing, one thing we lost was sinlessness. One thing we lost was sinlessness. And, and the image then was defective. Defective. Look around. We're all image bearers. Have a look at the people in the room. We're all image bearers. You want to know what God looks like? You want to know how God relates? Well, he created, he created you in his image. And sometimes it's hard for us to grasp that because we look at the mirror at the image. But that's not the image. The image is more than just flesh and blood and bones and skin and hair and wrinkles. It's more than that. Praise the Lord, right? It's more than that. But the image that God of God in us, created in his image, the image became defective. And Jesus says to the people standing by, <coughs> render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. If it's got the, the image of Caesar on it, it belongs to Caesar. If it's got the image of God on it, it belongs to God. In other words, why are you trying to trap me, says Jesus? All God wants is all of you. Give yourselves to God. In Colossians chapter 1, if you've got your, your Bibles, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, I'm just going to read it to you. This is talking about somebody. I want you to guess who it is. He is the image. There is that word again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's really, really cool because when Jesus is having this conversation with these people that are trying to trap him, they're actually looking at the very image of God in its completeness. They're trying to trap the image of God in its completeness, in its complete form. Human being, intellectual, reasonable, relational, creative, and sinless in the person of Jesus Christ. And they're trying to trap him. They're trying to trap him. And, and Jesus, Jesus, the very image of God, he knows that these people don't carry the image in its completeness. Even though they're trying to trap him, Jesus is still viewing those people as people created in the image of God and they've been, that the image has been defective in some way because of sin in their lives. And he's come 
to give his life as a ransom for sinners, for everyone. They just want to argue the point. They just want to trap him. They just want to try and make themselves look good. And Jesus is actually there laying his life down before them. And Colossians chapter 1 is talking about Jesus, the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. The image of God came and he dwelt among us and he taught us and he showed us the way and he said he is the way. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Oh, let's just do this. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, the exact image of God in a person. The image is restored because the image became one of us. Our tainted image is restored because Jesus became one of us. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see, do you see the fingerprints of God? Do you, do you see that you are created in the image of God? When you go to the shops and you see people, what do you see? Do you see people created in the image of God? Or do you see people getting in your way? When you're at work and you meet people or you talk to people over the phone, what do you see? Do you see a problem that needs to be fixed or a person that needs to change their ways? Or do you see a person created in the image of God? When you're at home, what do you see? People around you. How do you view them? Do you view them as your relatives, as someone who's got a history with you? Or do you view them as a person who's been created in the image of God? Because the plan from the very beginning was to have relationship with God. Because we've been created in his image, every single one of us have been created in his image, but that image has been tainted by sin. And so God chose to be, become one of us in the perfect image and lay himself down for us so that we might be in the image of God once again. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, He created us anew in Christ. Created anew. That means in his image, rightfully in his image, sinless in our state, as far as God is viewing us. Here's some scriptures. You probably know Romans 8.28. Anyone know Romans 8.28 off the top of their head? All things. Yeah. It's the next verse. For God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The image of his Son. And I love this one too, 1 Corinthians 15, 49. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. It's talking about Adam. And it says, and just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, Adam, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven, Jesus. 
Jesus says, give to Caesar what has his image. Give to God what has his image. Does he have all of you tonight? If you bear his image, how much of you have you put into his hands to have? That's the challenge for tonight. If it's true that we all bear the image of God, how much of you does he have? Because one day there's going to be a massive stock take. There's going to be a massive reckoning. And all the books are going to be opened and all the accountants are going to be, you know, the winged accountants are going to be out and they're going to say, where do you stand? How's your image looking? What are you going to say? Because one day God's going to get what what is his. And if it's not the right image, then I'm sorry, but that's sad. Make sure that you carry the image of God. Make sure that you turn your life into his hand to give everything you have to him. And even a challenge for tonight as you leave from here to walk this week following him, try and see people in his image too. Whether you agree with them or not, whether they make you feel like you're welcomed or not, whether they uh, listen to you or not, whether they like you or not, whether you like them or not, they're created in his image. Pray for them. Pray that that image would be restored through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And make sure that yours is too. All right. So when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, he's saying, Caesar has authority. You know, this is his stuff. If he wants that, that's fine. But there's an ultimate truth that is far greater than anything this world can ever offer. And that's a truth that says you're created in the image of God and you're designed to have an eternal relationship with the Creator. Caesar's money is going to burn. All the governments of this world will, will fade away. But the image of God that's been implanted in each and every person's heart, that's been tainted, if that's not cleaned up by receiving the perfect image, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Saviour, then it's a, it's a sad day. All right? Let's make sure we share that wonderful news with people that they might receive Jesus as, uh, as the perfect image of God. But Lord, we just thank you so much that you, um, you are perfect. And that, Lord, I just thank you so much that you've created each and every person in this room in your image. Male and female, you've created them in your image. Lord, each one of us, each one of us. Sometimes, Lord, we look at ourselves and we judge ourselves and we think, I'm not creating God's image. But we just want to lean on your word tonight, Lord God. We want to look at your image and read the inscription in your word that says that we are. We're created in the image of God. We're destined to be sons and daughters of God. Sin has gotten in the way of that. But Lord, we, 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 we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the way that he made on the cross. That he laid down his image on the cross and, and became became sin for us so that we can be right with you. And Lord, also help us to see not just ourselves in that way, but help us to see others too in that way too. We need your help. We need to see them like you see them. Not perfect, but loved. <coughs> and worthy of your best on the cross. 
And we, we pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us, Lord, as we do that. That we might be great image bearers of an amazing God this week. Amen.